0: Hey friends, welcome back to the Pulpit of the Pew podcast, and this week's adult Bible study as we continue our study of Elijah. And this week we get into the most famous of the stories, probably, arguably, the most famous of the stories of Elijah, and uh, even just studying it. Saw a few things, and even though I've heard this story probably hundreds of times in my life, saw a few new little nuggets in there that I really enjoyed. So I uh, hope that this study has been a help to you, studying this man, this prophet, A man just like you and I, according to James, this man Elijah. So without further ado, let's jump into this week, lesson four, this week's study on Elijah. Let's take our Bibles and go to 1 Kings 18. 1 Kings 18, as we uh, continue, this is what, lesson four, week four in our study on Elijah. And this is not an all-inclusive study. We're not, like for instance, here at the beginning, I'm going to talk about a little section that we are going to not cover. But uh, we're going to spend six weeks, and this is the fourth in Elijah's life. So far, I don't want to go back and review too much, because i got a lot I want to cover today. But we have seen Elijah just come onto the scene out of nowhere. He, we find him in the throne room, of Ahab and Jezebel, a wicked duo. Jezebel introduced Baal worship into Israel ahab entertained that ahab it was said of him that he was one of the most what he did more to provoke the lord god to anger than all of the kings that were before him at this time very wicked man and he married a very wicked woman and these two were really destroying the faith of israel and so elijah shows up on the scene armed with his faith armed with the scripture of deuteronomy and other scriptures And he said, it's not going to rain on this earth until I say so, until God says so. And so for three and a half years, it has not rained, and he has been hiding out. God sent him to the brook Cherith. I like to look at it as the University of Cherith. I think God was teaching him, God was preparing him, God was humbling him. He went to the brook Cherith, he's been fed by these ravens, but then the brook dried up. And when the brook dried up, God sent him to a widow woman's house. And, and there at this widow woman's house, he, he was fed by her. as She, was, she had nothing. She was going to fix this last meal and then give it to her son and herself. And then they just planned on dying, riding that meal out until they died. There was, it was a hopeless situation that Elijah found himself in. And that's where God sent him to get help. Which, again, is the university that God was just... He was training Elijah to trust him by faith. And at the same time, I I want to point out again, he was also working on the faith of that widow woman as well. Because God sees all, cares about all. It's not just the high-class prophets, it's the despised widows. And so, he is there, and now uh, she has... um, she has helped him out and i think that he stayed there for some time a lot of times it wasn't wasn't anything don't get the immoral thought in your mind that he's staying there in our modern day when we think of some people you know living together and things like that it wasn't something like that a lot of people had what that's where we got our term in churches prophets chambers and it was a separate place where prophets would come through town and they would be able to stay there jesus often stayed with lazarus and mary and uh mary and martha and, and so a lot of churches call these extra places for missionaries prophets' chambers based on some of this Old Testament stuff. And uh, so they, she had, he more than likely stayed there or stayed around as he was still kind of hiding out in this whole time period. But then eventually there's some tra- uh, tragic event happened and her son died. And she called Elijah, called for Elijah, and Elijah got to see the power of God as he was able to pray over this son, took him up and alone, and we talked about that some last week. And this son came back to life. So Elijah has talked about the power of God. He's got to see the power of God. God used him some, but all of this has been behind the scenes at a widow's house or at a brook cherith. But now in chapter 18, verse 1, it says, And it came to pass after many days that the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year, it's been three years now, saying, go, show thyself unto Ahab, and I will send rain upon the earth. So it is time. This is the time that Ahab was talking about, excuse me, that Elijah was talking about three years ago. He said, it won't rain until God says so. God's saying, it is about time now. I want you to go show yourself to Ahab. And so in verse 2, and Elijah went to show himself unto Ahab, and there was a sore famine in Samaria. There was a famine because of this lack of rain, lack of crop, lack of production. And so all of this problem is going on. But Elijah didn't hesitate, which is interesting to me because you know Ahab's got to be mad. You know Jezebel's got to be furious. And he's been three years hiding, and now God just says go, and he doesn't question God about the plan, he doesn't ask about the strategy. He just immediately obeys God. That's what I love about Elijah. It's just right. It's just obedience, obedience, obedience to this point. So the section that I'm not going to cover in Elijah's life, and it's kind of because it talks more about Obadiah, but it's from verse three to verse sixteen. So Elijah is just making his trip to the palace. He comes across a man named Obadiah, and Obadiah was a prophet as well, um, and he. There's debate on him, and that's why I say I'm not going to teach about him, so I don't know why we are down this road, but there's some debate on Obadiah. Was he kind of a compromiser because he was actually working for Ahab? Some say he was doing this in a sense to protect himself, but he was hiding out some prophets, so there was some good that he did, but you know, if you're in good also with Ahab and Jezebel, there's a lot of things you've got to be overlooking in order to get there. You know why Elijah wasn't in good with Ahab and Jezebel? Because he called out their sin and sometimes when you're quiet about calling out sin you can have all kinds of friends even in high places but in that being said to be fair to him he also was doing the lord's work and hiding out some of the prophets and things like that so so people i've heard preachers go both ways on him and i didn't want to really go down that road too much other than to say as elijah is walking to meet ahab he meets obadiah and obadiah runs to him and, and sees who he is and elijah said to him hey Go tell King Ahab that I'm back. And then Obadiah says, You have a death wish for me, basically? You're just What's going to happen is I'm going to run and go tell him that you're sitting right here because he wants you. And then as soon as you, I come back, you're going to be disappeared. God will take you somewhere else, and then I'm going to get killed. So he's still scared about his life. He's still trying to cover himself up. And he says, I'll be here. You go tell him. So let's jump ahead now. Verse 17. And it came to pass when Ahab saw Elijah... I love this showdown because it's been three years, no rain. This, I mean, think about it. This could be that I told you so moment for Elijah. It's like, hey, remember three years ago when you laughed me out of the, the room when I told you it's not going to rain? Now, we don't know what happened at that moment. But can we use our imagination for a second? We have a pretty brass, pretty arrogant king, and we have a prophet that no one knows who he is. And he says it's not going to rain, and this king is the authority. I imagine he laughed him out of that place. I imagine him, he said, someone get this guy out of here. And again, the Bible doesn't tell us, but just knowing the dynamics, knowing how we function and our society, I just think he was probably like, get this guy out of here. But then one month of no rain? Two months no rain? All of a sudden Ahab's going, who is that guy? Here's what he calls him. Look at verse 18. Or last of verse 17. He says, So Ahab saw Elijah, and Ahab said to him, Art thou he that troubleth Israel? So he says, you're that troublemaker. You're the guy that started all this. You're, you've brought trouble to us. And in, in my notes here, the way that I'll follow the exact outline that I've, I have had for some time, but it's, I, I, noted, I wrote down, this is just Ahab's callousness. He is blaming Elijah for his problem. The whole reason this problem happened was because he was ignoring the God of Israel, he was worshiping and introduced Baal, and so he is the problem. But he's still trying to blame everybody else. And don't we do that sometimes, though, in our own lives? We though we may be in a spiritual slump, we're in a bad spot, and it's easy to just say, "Well, I'm here because of this person," or "I I I have got this. Uh, this is going on because of my kids or because of my coworkers." I have a whole message that I speak once it's about our attitude it's never the most popular message but the message is that our attitude is our own fault and we like to blame everybody else well I got a bad attitude because my kids are grumpy no you got a bad attitude because you choose to that's basically the message never goes well with me either it's the most convicting message in my entire life that I've ever taught because, and it's the message that I think about more than anyone I shouldn't say it's original with me but the thought is not original with me but it is the thing I think about the most every time I get a bad attitude I think I'm choosing this I've taught on this I hate that most lesson I wish I would have never ever thought of that lesson but I think about it often in my own life and I think about it in others lives and they're blaming everybody else and I'm like actually it's our own decision we're choosing to get a bad attitude and I do that way too much I do that way too much And so Ahab was callous. He's blaming someone else. You're the one that troubled. No, it's your choice. You chose this. You were warned by the prophet. You're callous to this. He had hardened his heart in his own sinful ways, and he's choosing not to submit himself, even in this moment. He says, you're the one that's troubled Israel. And he answered, I have not troubled Israel, verse 18, but thou in thy father's house, and that ye have forsaken the commandments of the Lord, and thou hast followed Balaam. Now therefore, so here's the challenge. So he's already called him out on this, but he says, now therefore send and gather to me all of Israel unto Mount Carmel, and the prophets of Baal, 450. And that's all that we ever talk about, but notice what it says next. And the prophets of the groves, four hundred every time even i when i say it will say elijah versus the 450 prophets of baal and that's true but there was also 400 prophets of the groves so there was 850 prophets against one he says go call bring all of those people but then this last phrase this morning when we were getting ready um, i sat down and i was reading it real quick as my dogs were jumping all around the couch and i was <laughs> trying to read this and i saw this little phrase it says the 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 prophets of the groves 400 which notice this phrase which eat at Jezebel's table they were so comfortable in their wickedness in this land right now in 3 years even with the famine even though it was it, it was these prophets We're sitting down at the king's table. This is the king of Israel, God's people, and they are so consumed with their wickedness. They they were eating with these prophets of the groves. Groves were things that they would build up to worship to false gods. Baal was obviously the worship that Jezebel brought in. And notice you can tell by how he says it, Jezebel's table. She's behind all of this. Now, had made a decision. He's allowing this to happen. But, boy, she's behind all of this. And it's just 850. He says, bring all those prophets that you guys have been eating with. Bring them all down. And I just love the showdown. All right? It's, sport, it's football season anyway, so it's competition type of year. He says, let's have this showdown. You bring those 850 prophets of wickedness. You bring them down to Mount Carmel. And Ahab sent unto all the children of Israel and gathered the prophets together unto Mount Carmel. So here's the showdown set up. You've got all of Israel watching, which is what Elijah wanted, because not for himself, don't take it wrong like that. He wanted Israel to see the true God, the God of Israel, the God who we are supposed to be worshiping, the God who got us to this point. If you study Israel's history you know Israel came you know Jacob and then from Abraham was promised and then Jacob and then all the Exodus and Moses all of this God has brought us all here and now you're just worshiping false gods he wanted every eye in Israel to see this so he says bring them all down bring them all to the Mount Carmel i want them to see this now, i don't know if it cuz we've read i don't know at the time if he knew what god was going to do or not cuz at this time i i mean Not everything's recorded for us. So it could have been that God said, hey, here's what we're going to do. Maybe. Or maybe God's saying, hey, I want you to call everybody down. This is how I tend to think. I think God told him, hey, get everybody to see this. See what? Just do it. Then you'll see. Because God's always working on our faith. So now he's got all of Israel around. He's got 850 prophets over here. He's got the, the most wicked king and queen watching. And Elijah's, verse 21, came to all the people and said now he's going to get a little preachy he says how long halt ye between two pinions if the Lord that's Jehovah the God of Israel be God follow him but if Baal then follow him and the and the people answered him not a word what a sad commentary on these people he's saying hey guys who's the real God you guys are going back and forth. You're worshiping the one God in the synagogue, but then you're going over here and you're worshiping in the groves. He says, you've got to choose. Are you going to follow the, tr- the true God, Jehovah, who got us to this point? Are you going to follow these false gods? Don't be going back and forth, make a decision. You hear this, I mean, we've, I don't know how many times you hear about this text preached to us as Christians, and I'm not going to go down that road as much today because I'm just teaching through his life, but it is a great, it is a great lesson. For us today we don't have the prophets of Baal we don't have the prophets of groves what do we have the prophets of popularity the prophets of fame the prophets of money the prophets of whatever that we we have one foot in the things of this world and one foot in church on Sundays maybe Wednesdays and we don't and we, we will sell out for the Lord on Sunday and sell out for the things of this world on Monday Tuesday how long halt we between two opinions we, we're of this world there's no doubt about that but I mean, we have to, where, is, where are we at? Are we walking with God on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday and Saturday? Not just Sunday. And he says, how long are you going to halt between two opinions? If the Lord be God, follow him. If Baal, then follow him. The people didn't say a word. They are as quiet as could be. Then said Elijah to the people, I, even I only, remain a prophet of the Lord. That's where Elijah was a little bit I'm like, uh, Elijah, you're not the only one, because Obadiah did hide out several other prophets. May got a little bit prideful there. That's just, you know, you're not the only prophet. There were others hidden out, but he may not have known. But he says, I remain the prophet of the Lord, but Baal's prophets are 450 men. Let them, therefore, give us two bullocks. Let them choose one bullock for themselves and cut it in pieces and lay, lay it on wood and put no fire under it. And I will dress the other bullet and lay it on wood and put no fire under it. And call ye on the name of your gods, and I will call on the name of the Lord. And the God that answereth by fire, let him be God. And all the people, now the people are talking, and all the people answered and said, It is well spoken. So now they talk because they get to see what's really haste. They're not willing to step out in faith like Elijah and do something that's never been done. They want to sit back and just watch. And so Elijah makes this challenge. He says, "Hey, give us two bullocks. We're going to we're going to make a sacrifice. We'll put it on the altar, and then you pray to your god, and I'll pray to my god, and the god that sends fire from heaven to consume the sacrifice, he's the true god." Now, where does where does he get this idea? Like maybe God told him. But that's a pretty—that's another bold prayer. Fire coming down from heaven. I mean, that's pretty. That's a pretty bold statement. But that's what he does. And so, the sacrifice time has come. And so, in verse twenty-five, and Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, "Choose you one bullock for yourselves and dress it first. You get to go first, for ye are many." And call the name of your gods, but put no fire in it. No trickery. We don't want anything tricking, because back then those there was some there were those that could do some tricks. There were those that could do, remember the magicians for even in Moses' time, which was hundreds of years before that, they could do some of those plagues and they could you know, trick and do some of those things that, that Moses had done, but there was a few of them that they couldn't do. Well, he says, hey, nope, don't put any fire under it. So verse 26, and they took the bullock which was given them and they dressed it and they called on the name of Baal from morning until noon. So that's some time there, saying, O Baal, hear us. But there was no voice, nor any that answered. And they leaped on the altar, which was made. Now, if my knees and back were hurting from fishing with my boys, maybe I would try to do this part, but I am not going to do this part. All right, plus my wife would probably be like, get down. But uh, no, I would, but these chairs... If you, would, if I were to bring these chairs up, you mean they're jumping up on these chair, this, oh, these chairs. Yeah, they had great, comfortable chairs like this. No, they're jumping up on the altar back then. They are crying out to their God. It's been probably six hours, maybe six to noon. They've been going for some time. Now they're crying out to their false gods. Bail. There's no one listening. There's no other false god. But they're just, they're out there crying to him. They're leaping up on this altar trying to get something to happen. In verse 27. Here comes Elijah. This is what gets. This is what I like about Elijah. But it says, maybe this is the, that's the flesh of me saying this. I think. But it says verse twenty-seven. It came to pass at noon that Elijah mocked them and said, "Hey, cry louder! Cry loud! For he is a god. Either he's talking, or he's he's pursuing, or he's in a journey of per venture. He sleepeth and must be awake. And so he's a little bit sarcastic here." I don't know why I like that so much. Maybe because I have a doctorate in sarcasm, but I just I love that. He's just kind of saying, "Hey guys, what's going on here?" It's a little bit of that competitive trash talk, you know. And he's saying, "What's you know your your God is he on a journey? Is, did he fall asleep? You got to wake him up." I don't know what's going on here, but nothing's happening. And he's mocking at them and he's giving them a hard time. Now, remember who's watching this? All of Israel. That's how long I was thinking. If you just think through stop sometimes when you're hearing a story you've already heard a hundred times and just think about the actual scene like if you could put yourself back there thousands of years ago if you're a little kid watching this on the sidelines that's a long time your kids ever stand for six hours or so that's a long time they're sitting over there watching this but what are they starting to think about the god of baal he's not doing anything there's nothing happening these little kids probably now are running around throwing rocks and fighting and they're thinking this is boring. Nothing is happening. Baal is not doing anything. We've been we've been worshiping this God and nothing is happening. And so he's kind of giving them a little hard time. Verse twenty eight. And they cried aloud, no, watch what they did next. And they cut themselves after the manner with knives and lances till the blood gushed out upon them. So they've taken things to the next level. They couldn't get any answer from their God, and that so now they're cutting themselves. They're bleeding all over the place. And it came to pass when midday was past, and they prophesied until the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice. There was neither voice nor any to answer, nor any that regarded. There was nothing. Nothing was happening. They've been standing there all day. I wonder if some of the families kind of gave up for a little bit. I wonder if it... I mean, I just... Nothing happened, but then in verse thirty, Elijah's turn. And Elijah said to all the people, "Come near unto me." And the people came near, so they came close. And he repaired the altar. Well, they probably needed it because they've been jumping up and down on this thing; they've been bleeding. He repaired the altar of the Lord that was broken down. And Elijah took twelve stones. Now, this is just a wild guess. Why the number twelve? Now we don't know for we don't know for sure, but maybe, what do you think twelve would represent? Maybe. Very good. Twelve tribes of Israel, which he's talking to Israel. He's saying, let's take twelve stones. That twelve stands out, those twelve tribes. This is, where we, this is our foundation. This is where we began. I don't know that, but I would wonder. And according to the number, look at the next phrase, of the tribes of the sons of Jacob. So he did say that. Unto whom the word of the Lord came, saying, Israel shall be thy name and with the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord and he made the trench about the altar as great as would contain two measures of seed and he put the wood in order and cut the bullocks in pieces and laid him on the wood now this is the next key part here watch what he says and fill the barrels with water and pour it on the burnt sacrifice on the wood now first of all there's a shortage of water is there not? I mean, it's not rained in how long? Three years at this point? About three and a half years? And so it's not like on the Mount Carmel they just had a bunch of water laying here. Some say, and I don't know, but some say that that fill this up, they would have to travel a long ways just to go get this water and bring it back. So this could have taken a long time. But he's saying, fill these buckets of water, and I want you to absolutely drench this. So it takes while any tricking and, and hiding some fire that maybe they could have done back then. No, this is wet. It takes it's just common sense that water puts out fire so you don't put water on your sacrifices everyone knows this but it just amps up God's glory it's all he's doing here he's I mean he's putting this he's putting aside any any doubts that they may have had and he's he's filling these barrels with water he's pouring it on the burnt sacrifice and he said do it a second time and if what i read is true and they had to go a long ways away to get this I imagine those guys carrying those barrels thinking, oh, great. So they had to go all the way back. I don't know how far that is. It doesn't tell us. But he did it a second time and said, do it a third time. And they did it a third time. The water ran about the altar, and he filled the trench also with water. I mean, this thing is soaked. (coughs) Then the moment, verse 36, and it came to pass at the time of the offering and the evening sacrifice that elijah the prophet came near and said lord god here's his prayer this is it if i I don't count it now if i can remember back from college when a guy said something that's like it's you guys can count it while i'm doing this if you want but it's like 63 words or something if i remember right something like 63 words and he says this lord god of abraham isaac and israel let it be known this day that thou art the god in israel and that I am thy servant, and that I have done all these things at thy word. Hear me, O Lord, hear me, that this people may know that thou art the Lord God. Notice he didn't say that they may know that I'm your prophet, or that they know that who I am and I get famous. He says, I want them to know that you are the true God. You're the Lord God, and that thou hast turned and that that thou hast turned their heart back again. Look at verse 38. It's all he prayed, by the way. Was that like a miraculous prayer? I mean, I've heard some pretty good prayers. Kermit's given us some good prayers and closing prayers. It may have been uh, longer than this one. I don't think Brian Hoffadish's prayers are ever longer than this one because he's really quick, by the way. I could throw some jokes. He goes really fast, and we're out of there. Dad never makes it all the way to the back, so I always watch that. (laughs) So I don't know. Brian Hoffadish may not be this long. I'm saying all that joking, But there was a pretty quick, simple prayer. Then, verse 38, the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt sacrifice and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. When all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and they said, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. So now after he's, we've seen Ahab's callousness, Israel's compromise was talked about and he says, how long halt you between two opinions? He has challenged them with this challenge And now, in his humble cry, his humble prayer, after his obedience to God, he's praying really for the people. He says, God, turn their heart back to you. This was not selfish in any way. He's been sitting by a brook for years. He's been sitting at a widow's woman's house. He just says, God, turn their hearts back. And when he finished that simple prayer, fire from heaven, you imagine those kids that have been playing now in the dirt all day long, And those parents that have been trying to wrangle those kids all of a sudden look up and fire just comes down and consumes everything, everything. The water that they had spent all this time pouring, it says it licked up the water from even the trenches. It absolutely consumed everything. And all of the people immediately said, hey, this is the true God. Now, it's unfortunate that it took a big event like that to turn their hearts back, but it still did. You know what, it'd be nice if every one of us just immediately when trials come in our life, we're just like, hey, the Lord's God. He'll take care of it. But sometimes we doubt and get discouraged and get frustrated until we start to see some things go. All of us struggle sometimes with our faith. But Elijah prayed this prayer. And Israel confessed their sin and fell down. I think I'm going to next week get into some of the other part. But I want you to look at what Elijah did. Elijah said to them, take the prophets of Baal. Let not one of them escape. And they took them. The prophets Baal were 450. They're the ones getting all the focus since the initial conversation about the 850. And they took them, and Elijah brought them down to the brook Kishon and slew them there. It got pretty ugly at that point. But he was trying to show to these people of Israel, these guys have deceived you. These guys have ruined what God wants to do in your life. You have gotten away from the true god so i'm going to touch on some more of this next week but some questions we could look at is you know where are we at today there's three types of people in this story the first type of people were these prophets of baal they did not worship god totally unsaved i would think everyone in this room would be saved and accepted christ as their savior but then you had in this story the israelites they we would use the term saved they were followers of The true god at one time but they were now living in a in a sinful lifestyle they have drifted from god and it's believe it or not you can sit in a church and still be drifting from god sitting in a church doesn't mean that you're automatically walking with god And so it could be that, and even though I would like to assume that everyone in here has the closest walk with God they've ever had, it could be that you would say, you know what, I have been drifting from God somewhat. I've been halting between a couple of opinions, like these, like these Israelites. It could be, and it may be that just a reminder of a familiar story like this. It's not fire coming down from heaven because that's not my closing illustration. I'm not going to do that. All right, it's not going to happen. It's just going to have to be that just looking at what God has done thousands of years ago, that we say, you know what, I need to get back to serving the true God. I'm not bowing down to other idols or anything like that, but I'm also not bowing down to God. But then there's a third person in this story, that's Elijah. He was a man that was just full of faith, and he was obedient to God in everything. and everything. And I'd hope that would be us, our desire, to say, you know what, I, I want to be like Elijah. I want to trust in circumstances when I don't see the outcome, when it doesn't make sense how this is going to go. I want to have his faith and his obedience. The obedience to say, hey, I'm going to obey God. And how do we know what God wants? Well, we, we went back and forth. What did Elijah? What did God tell Elijah? And what did Elijah just obey? We know God said, go meet Ahab. We know that. And he did it immediately. God's not going to speak to us in that audible way, but he's given us this word right here. There's some basic things that we know in the Bible that we should be doing. It wouldn't take me, it wouldn't take us no time at all. If I were to say, and I'm not going to say it for the sake but if I were to say, hey, what are some basic things we know God wants us to do? We could pop off five to ten of them pretty fast around this room. But then if I were to turn around and say, all right, now, if you've been doing all of these five to ten things consistently, stand up. And some of us would be like, eh, I don't know, consistently? What do you mean by consistently? I mean, and, and it, we're all there, myself included. And so I hope that we have a heart that strives to be like Elijah that says, you know what, I want to live by faith. And I want to just obey God, <laughs> even when I don't feel like it, even when I'm discouraged. And Elijah wasn't perfect because next week or probably the final week, we're going to see... I hate to end Elijah on the negative note, but I think I'll, I'll, I'll work it in a way that we can end him on a positive note. But you're going to see this guy right here from chapter 18. It's not the same guy we're going to meet in chapter 19. Chapter 19, he's saying, God, just kill me. I want to die. Whoa! Right here, you're calling down fire from heaven and you are in just one chapter, you're going to be wishing you were dead and de- pouting like a little kid? How does that happen? You know why? Because Elijah was just like you and just like me. He was human. And we got an enemy named Satan and an enemy named our flesh that's trying to destroy us. And it could take a man that called down fire from heaven and take him to where he's going to be here in a couple of weeks when we get there. And so we all got to be on guard. We're not going to be perfect. There's going to be times where we're like these Israelites. There's going to be other times when we're walking like Elijah. But I hope when we leave the class here today we say, you know what, I want to be like Elijah, full of faith and full of obedience. Trust in God. Let's pray.